Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. Thrilled, thrilled to be back in the Bra Brave Cave with someone else who's in their own Bra Brave Cave elsewhere in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm delighted to say that I am joined by children's author and illustrator Karina Campbell. Hello. Well, that was that was that was a very dignified hello there. That was very reserved. I know. Look, I've got all quite nervous now. I'm not used to. I've never because I've never done a podcast before. I think this is me now being like, how do I present myself on a podcast? But I'll get into it. I'll, I'll loosen up a bit as we go. I'm sure. <laughs> well, I mean, you've already nailed it. You've got like the setup is immaculate. You've got like the cushions and everything for the soundproofing. Like, I'm so impressed by you already, Karina. Well, I don't know. The, the, the cupboard under the stairs, I think, has its um, perks and that Harry Potter kind of led the way for that being quite a cool place to hang out. So, you know, a cupboard, a cave, a couple of cushions and a microphone and you're, you're all set to go, to be honest. Do you sometimes go in there and just forget to come back out and you're, you've realised you've been in there for hours? Yes. And it's a little concerning because there's no windows and it's not exactly the nicest of places. But when you know when you get into something, it's really hard to then, well, you don't really need it. It doesn't need to be anywhere fancy. I think some people sell the kind of vision of, of creativity and the creative journey being this beautiful, glamorous lifestyle in coffee shops. And actually, it, yeah, I mean, that would be nice, but it's not necessary. No, you don't need to have the flat lay with the fancy mug and, the, <laughs> and everything beautifully curated to write a good story. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely right although that's what instagram tells you you need but behind the scenes is entirely different <laughs> i love i love everything piled around you and all the mess and all the bits of paper <laughs> i was watching actually one of your youtube videos just before i came on just oh, to re- refresh because i had watched it already and uh, i loved like you just had like endless amounts of bits of paper and like you know wee scribbles and stuff and actually do you know what it totally reminded me of so when i was growing up there was my sister and i and she constantly she kept every single bit of paper that she ever ever drew on and i was such a good two issues that I would go into a room and be like, right, we're going to tidy your room today. And she'd be like, no, or no. And I'd be trying, I mean, these bits of paper were like the size of a 50 pence. And she was like, but I need that. And yeah. she would literally keep everything. And I'm, I'm sure that's you. I'm sure you're like, I need to keep everything. Oh, totally. And yeah, I do. Yeah, that's terrible, actually. I was trying to do a clear out recently. And it's really hard to get rid of things, especially when you've spent time on them and they mean something and they're part of what I call the journey. There's very much a big journey that goes on before you get to any end product in terms of a book or or even a written piece of um, or, or a story. So yeah, it's all kind of, and it's nice looking back on the journey because that's when you really realise how far you've come with something. And they, yeah, that's the important part for me, actually, is the journey. But yeah, it's creative mess. My husband, I mean, my husband will say I'm messy. In fact, I'm sure that my um, previous flatmates from university will probably listen at some point and they'll be like, oh, she's such a mess. And they used to come home because I was a primary school teacher in my my previous life. Let's call it my previous life. I used to, um, I obviously trained as a primary teacher. And in those days, we didn't have computers and we didn't have printers and we didn't have iPads and all the tech. So the resources I made for children were hand-drawn resources that I would laminate at home and cut out. And you're absolutely right. When you're talking about those 50 pence pieces of things, literally my flatmates would find cut out 50 pences around the house and I'd be like I need those tomorrow we're doing maths tomorrow and I need those and I spent two hours drawing that 50 pence 
peace and now I need it. But I do know they can't. And I remember them coming home and always being like, oh my goodness. But yeah, nothing changes. I think that's just part of it. I mean, you saying that there was no computers and no like tech and all that, Karina, you're selling yourself to be like, I'm like, what age are you? You're defying time. <laughs> but it just shows you like how quickly things have moved on. Because I'm like, it couldn't have been that long ago that you studied to be a primary teacher. Just oh. saying. Yeah, when was it? Um, I went to university, I think, 2001. Um, So laptops, we definitely had a laptop. By the time I did my dissertation, I was typing on a laptop. But a lot of what we did for primary were like worksheet-based and and quite often you would would laminate resources for them to use. And we ran, so I remember... I definitely remember making ladybirds and I would cut out all their black spots. And so the children would be told, you know, how many spots to put on the ladybird. And I would have made, I think, probably 25, 30 ladybirds with hundreds of spots for them to just move around and use. Um, And yeah, it's just so much easier now. But it probably, I bet that's probably like, that's funny. I've never thought of those days, actually, but that's probably where the whole thing started, actually, was to start to draw and create things for kids to use and to learn from. So, yeah, interesting. Absolutely. You know, there's something so beautiful and magical about things that are handmade that you could, that someone else has done. Like, it's not just a page out of a book, and I know we're going to get to pages out of a book, but when you realise, like, you, you realise somebody's made that, do you know what I mean? And I can think of even, like, stuff at school that you knew that the teacher had made, and you were like, that was really good. Or, like, look at the the, te- the teachers as a drawn of whatever, and it was always amazing. You're always like, I could never draw like that. <laughs> that. These are the things you remember. You just totally took me back to my own childhood. But in terms of the journey, and you mentioned the words journey, I actually wanted to take you further back for a moment, if, yeah. if you don't mind, to ask you, growing up, what was your favourite story or book or slash books to read as a young person as a kid oh the one that always comes to mind and I say this quite often and it's so um relevant for this podcast actually is Katie Morag because I'm sure you'll be like oh yeah Katie Morag of course I mean I I grew up in Inverness in the north of Scotland and Katie Morag was my dad's favorite go-to book to read with us and the main thing he loved about Katie Morag was um in the illustrations that Mary Hedrobick creates there are tiny little what I call hidden gems um, just that tell part of like a bigger story so she she had all this little kind of intricate detailed drawings and although you had Katie Morag and the story going on in the illustration there was always other things going on in the scene and my dad was really good I always remember whenever we started reading Katie Morag he would always start with the map at the, the beginning and we would track Katie Morag's journey from her house and it was through the village I think it was over the Redburn Bridge past Highview Farm past the lady artist and up to Granny's house on the hill and for some reason, I could just really relate to that. I mean, um, I guess my granny lived in the Highlands as well, and we would travel to Granny's house, not necessarily on an island, but, you know, being a kid and growing up in the Highlands, and that was very much a part of my childhood that I related to. Um, and, I, yeah, that's that's one of my earliest memory of, of storybooks is Katie Morag and the tiresome Ted that she kicks him into the sea and, and he, uh, he washes up on the shore. <laughs> amazing because your memory is amazing you remember so much of that obviously totally is imprinted in your mind like from such a young age yeah no absolutely um my dad was really good at stories I'm sure my mum was too it must have just been that sometimes dad did story time I think mum sometimes went out in the evenings to work so maybe dad was in charge of that at some point I don't know but yeah dad dad was a big one for stories and he liked to spend time kind of sitting and reading I think with all of us but I specifically obviously remember it with myself um and yeah, no, I think stories was a big part of growing up and imaginative stories and imaginative play was probably a big part of growing up for me as well. That I don't know, we didn't have an abundance of of stuff as my kids seem to have now. So it was very much this, you know, you didn't have anything that kind of dictated the direction of play. You very much had to just create that from scratch. 
and that was how we played and and yeah I guess stories really fed into that imaginary world that then you know in your imaginative play you would be Katie Morag or you would be her friend Agnes or you know there would be some element that would come in and, and would inform that so so yeah no I've got great fond memories and I've even managed to meet Mary Hedwig I remember she came when I was teaching actually to the school I was teaching in and I got to meet her and, and that was a really big moment actually having met somebody in my childhood that I was like Mary Hedwig's an author illustrator and she just was so impressed by her I just thought it was amazing that she'd done this. And at that moment when you're you're meeting someone like that are you already thinking like I would love to write a book and illustrate it and have it published? Uh, no interestingly not um, and this has been also probably part of my journey actually is that so I loved books growing up and I don't know if this is maybe from being in the Highlands or in that time I don't know how you felt like 80s 90s for me a steady job was more what was was seen as preferred I suppose you were encouraged to go find a salary find a job that was going to be stable and it never ever crossed my mind that I could write or illustrate a picture book it never ever crossed my mind that I could have done something that didn't require me going the usual route which was school university job and then you were in that job for, for your life basically um and teachers had been in, like, you know, my grandparents were teachers. So, and education was very much seen as a good job. It was a stable job, a steady job. And I was, the key subjects for me in school, I guess, were art and music, drama, PE. I was quite active. So primary education ticked all those boxes and that was the the natural route. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know, it just never, ever, even, even when I met Mary Hedwig and even when I was a teacher myself, I probably still didn't have that belief that that was something that I could do. And um, that probably came a little bit later on, I think. But that's the thing. I think a lot of people feel like that. They maybe have like a, an urge or, a, you know, a burning desire to do something, but they just think, oh, that's not for me. I mean, you know, a friend of mine recently has has gone freelance after being a teacher for so many years. And for years, she's been saying to me like, oh, I, you know, I'd really like to go freelance. Like, I think it's dead brave of you that you've been doing it. You know, and I'm like, for me, that's the norm because it's been I've been freelance for so long. But mm-hmm. I understand the security of, having like not necessarily a nine to five but somebody else is sorting the wages and yeah. <laughs> telling you where to be and what time you have to be there and I totally get that but yeah it's just like you know taking that opportunity or taking the, a leap of faith so what was it for you did did some an opportunity come up or did you just go I'm going to do this uh, this is a really interesting story um, because I have to take you back and bring my husband into this story actually. So when I was teaching, I was teaching in Edinburgh and my husband had just graduated. He was a lawyer. He was working as a lawyer in a in a law firm in Edinburgh somewhere. And he decided that he was wanting to come out of, of law and, and start something. And he had that kind of burning desire to do something different. So he came out of being a lawyer and decided to set up a food business. And so he went from uh, law to making soup and we sold, and I say we because it was a joint venture really, because in order for us to do that as a couple, one of us had to be steady and have the income and pay the bills while the other one was able to, to dabble a bit more and take that that risk, I suppose, financially. So he stepped out and he started making soup and sold it in a van in Edinburgh. Um, yeah, that's and, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, most people were like, "You're crazy! Like you're crazy." He's a lawyer. He has a job. It's a recession. So this was really mean about. I mean, gosh, I think he. We came into law about two thousand and eight, and then must come out maybe about two thousand and ten. I think two thousand nine. So you know, he'd done well to get his job, and he had a job. Um, but it was just, it was grim. It wasn't, it wasn't fun at that point in time. And so he wanted to do something different. And so that's what we did. So he came out, he did soup. And then the soup business ended up being a charity um, called One Feeds Two. There was always a charity element to the food business, but then the charity then kind of grew in its own right. And he did ran the charity and then he went back to being a lawyer. 
So a long story short, wow. why, why did I end up doing this? I I genuinely think that having watched him go through that process and demonstrate and show me that you can actually diversify and you can step out from what is a stable, well-respected job and take a bit of a chance to do something that you're really passionate about. And I don't know that I would have done it had it been without him kind of leading the way a bit with that, actually. And so then my opportunity came, I guess, um, we went, had children, so I had my first child, and I started to, on maternity leave, just dabble in things on the side as you do when you come out. I think when you have kids, you step away from your job and all of a sudden your life changes so dramatically. And I had a while of clinging on to what was my previous life. And then I, I guess I... I moved into a phase of trying to make my new life work with some of my old life because I still loved education. I still loved working with children. I still loved being creative. And so I had to find a way to make the two fit. And then eventually I went back into another job. But when we had our second uh, daughter, that was when he said, it's your chance now. Like It's time for you to step out, give this a go. You've, you've started writing. It's time to come away from the, kind of the, the nine to five and see if you can make something of this while he's now steady again. So we're very good at working I think as a team, really, that one supports the other and vice versa whenever we're trying to, to dabble in some... Yeah, I was going to say that. You sound like a proper team. Yeah, yeah. No, we are. We've been friends for a long time. So I think that having that basis has been really, really good for us because we're quite good at trying to, yeah, like support the other in, in the direction they want to go in if we can at that time. And and yeah, certainly I felt that when I was teaching, I was helping him very much run the food company and the charity. And now he's he's helping me be able to to run this on the side as well so and how lovely for your daughters to see that 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 is a team effort and that you know there is that coordination that that collaboration of like we're going to make this work to make sure yeah. that everyone's happy do you know what I mean and everyone's getting the you know the opportunity to like fulfill some of their dreams do you know what I mean like yeah. you're not necessarily going to be able to go after every single dream and aspiration but if it's something that you really really want to do you can make it happen and it might be scary or whatever and you need somebody else there to support you not only financially but just to be like you can totally do this do you know what I mean it's actually important yeah yeah and I think it's also hard quite hard when you step out there's a lot of people will ask questions of that generally speaking because quite often I think when you step out of doing something that's seen very much as the norm and quite like I say stable secure a lot of people question well why would you do that and it's really hard and you have to be quite brave to do it but if if you've got a good close circle of people and especially I suppose my husband's really good for that is that he's like no you've got this that you are good at this and that that moment of self-doubt and imposter syndrome I talk quite a lot about as well actually thinking I don't know if I can do this and you know if I could say to him look you can be a lawyer you can sell soup you can run a charity you can be a lawyer again then there's no reason why I can't be a teacher, write some books, illustrate some things, and then be a teacher again if I need to be. But yeah, it's good. It's great. It's great to show the girls the, the teamwork side of things. But certainly, there's been challenges in that as well. I mean, it, that's maybe the the rose tinted glasses version. But you know, as with everything, there are there are challenges, and it's it's not it's not been an easy journey in any way, shape, or form. And there's been a lot of sacrifice along the way. But you know, we've learned as we go, I suppose, what the priorities are and and how we can make those fit around what we want to achieve. Yeah, like you're saying, it's like that Instagram highlights feel like oh. just showing your best bits. But it, that we all know, surely we all know now that that's not actually life. You're like, oh, <laughs> sometimes you know we're all guilty of just going. They look like they've just got it sorted, or they know what they're up to, or like they've got it made, or things just land on their plate, and you're like, no, 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 no. Do you know what I mean like? You know, we don't necessarily put all of the the hurdles and the failures on, you know, on social media. And some people are great at doing that, and I really applaud them. 
that's why I like doing this podcast because people are it's like long form and people get more opportunities just to lay it out and say actually this happened because I think you just can't possibly succeed if you don't expect to fail along the way like you're just not going to learn yeah completely and and that's actually what I suppose I'm learning quite quickly with and certainly in this field of work with writing and I guess with illustration as well is that rejection is part of this like you can't become a children's book author illustrator without taking a lot of rejection and being able to use that really as a platform to push yourself further and keep moving forward rather than to shy away from it um and it's been really good I mean I talk a lot to kids about this as well about um remember in schools we talk a lot about a growth mindset and that's been really important actually for me and I feel like that's something that I'm now having to really focus on because like I say I get rejection like almost on a monthly basis I write something I I fine-tune it I send it out they say no you write something you fine-tune it you send it out they say no and you you could just be like okay I can't do this but you have to be like well why have I said no what can be improved let's revisit that again and let's just keep going um and find other routes and avenues and and yeah see what comes from it basically but yeah keep going I guess is the is the key message (laughs) yeah it's like giving that advice to yourself that you you like you say you were giving to the children all all those years kind of thing it's like I can't do it I can't do it yet exactly and it's not necessarily I think also um I've learned a lot recently to not focus necessarily on the end product as well so I think sometimes it can become a bit toxic when I'm determined I'm going to be a children's book author illustrator and that that is the process at the moment and that's I guess what I'm striving for but along the way I'm definitely learning new skills and I'm definitely more open to potentially that direction changing because fundamentally what I love is learning new skills and being creative and that doesn't necessarily pigeonhole me to being a children's book author illustrator but certainly that's the route I'm on at the moment but there are other things that can come on top of that and other doors that may open um and I've got to be accepting of that that while one door closes hopefully and yes usually another one will open along the way that's so true like that resonates massively with me because I think as someone for years who said I'm a dance artist and choreographer so the, those are the labels that I've wore proudly so then when other things have started to come off the back of this podcast so then I've started delivering podcasts and workshops um it's that that can um like feeling like who am I like yeah. she doesn't know what to, she doesn't know what to be up to you know and really I don't really care like <laughs> I'm happy to do lots of different things and try lots of things but it's that idea of like what other people like if you were at a party and you were like oh what do you do and you're like well I do a bit of this and I do a bit of that and for some reason why does that feel like that's not solid that's like that you need one label I'm a teacher <laughs> all right I know what that looks like yeah what does. is that about <laughs> yeah I totally relate to that as well and I think creatively as well you'll maybe find this as well there's lots of plates that are always spinning so there is lots of things going on and lots of things going on at the same time and some of them land and some of them don't um and I used to be I it probably was quite challenging when I really pinned on one and it wasn't happening it wasn't happening and it wasn't happening whereas now when there are several usually one of them comes in like usually one of them will land and then that's something and then that keeps you going it's like throwing everything at the wall and see what sticks aye yeah totally totally yeah and I'm still learning really who I am and what I'm about as well because this is all quite new to me and it's you know I've not been doing it that long and I'm still very much I mean I didn't think I could draw four years ago and now I've published a book so there's a lot still that that I'm learning about and trying to figure out about the career I'm trying to carve but I definitely am starting to understand a bit better about what I'm looking for I guess in terms of work and life love it so when your husband was like this is your time you know you've been dabbling you've been talking about it you've been in your 
were you under the stairs by that point? Or? No. So actually, <laughs> this used to be his room. So he kind of called the cupboard his. And then when he went back to law, we kind of parked the cupboard for a while. Um, and I was at the kitchen table and I was just um, sitting at the kitchen table in an evening with literally one palette of paints, a small palette, a couple of paintbrushes and some paper I picked up from Hobbycraft probably. Um, and that was really, it was just at the kitchen table. And then as it grew it became more challenging because you'd start something and I only work in the evening. So when the kids go to bed is my time, usually between the hours of eight and midnight. Um, and it just came to the point that when you really get into something and when you're in the middle of an illustration or when you're in the middle of a story, it's really difficult to be able to just park that and pick it up again the next morning. And in the kitchen, I had to tidy everything away, make sure the kids weren't going to come down and ruin it in the morning. Whereas now with this little cupboard space, I'm able to leave it out overnight and it's a lot easier to pick up where I left off from. Um, compared to the kitchen but that was our journey in itself that was you know I started the kitchen table and then as it started to grow and evolve then I needed more space I needed more equipment I suppose the pandemic kind of dictated some of that as well that I needed to have uh, access to do things digitally as well so so yeah it was very much a kitchen table start for me and an upgrade to a cupboard and then I guess the dream is a studio somewhere but yes the cupboard side <laughs> the cupboard is smashing absolutely brilliant <laughs> And the, the, the story of the girl who stole the stars, when I was watching your video on YouTube, I believe that was um, inspired by one of your daughters. Yeah, that's right. So uh, that was my eldest, Jessie. So she, it was just one Christmas. I said to her, what do you want this year for Christmas? What's, what's the plan? And she said, I really want a ladder so I can reach the stars. And I was like, oh, that's so lovely. What a lovely idea. Like, and the best thing about um, writing is that it doesn't have to exist in this world. Like you can create, like anything's possible. That's the beauty of it. And especially for children where I think imagination is key, you know, why not have a ladder that literally is as tall as the stars that you can go up and just be like, all right, I'm off out to just climb up to the stars and I'm going to take a few and put them in my pockets. So yeah, so that's that's exactly where it started from. It started with the story and I wrote the story. Um, but interestingly, this is where it got interesting again, was I wrote the story of my husband, who's usually very supportive, but this time he said to me, look, Karina, I think you've reached your limit this time. I think you're going to need to pay someone to illustrate it. I don't know that you're drawing is of a high enough standard um so I, I was like right okay fair enough and he's good I usually take he, he's good at saying when you know tell me the truth to be honest he's a good mm. um so anyway so I I'd finished the story I decided I wanted to self-publish because all of these rejections were coming in I'd sent it out to agents and publishers do you want this do you want this no 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 so I was like right sack it I'm self-publishing I'll go it myself um and went and contacted a few illustrators freelance to be like how much you know to illustrate my story <laughs> out I didn't expect what their reply was going to be which was more than a few thousand pounds and I don't know why I didn't I I understand that now given how much time it takes to illustrate a book but at the time I was like holy smokes there's no way I can afford that there's no way I'm paying that much money for somebody else to illustrate this I'll just have to do it myself and that's wow that's where we went I was like right we got it out and I started drawing and the start point is terrible but the end point was a book <laughs> so and I that is incredible yeah well it was you know I was re really fortunate in a way I guess so it was again in my evenings um and I'd always I, I guess the teaching background had always been draw and create so there was there was a bit there don't get me wrong it wasn't just completely plucked from thin air but I sat on Instagram and YouTube and I looked up every single illustrator I could and looked at how they were doing it and tried to replicate it and learned and learned some more and ripped up paper and started again and 
spent hours trying to figure this out and eventually figure it out. Um, and that, and I guess the rest is history. <laughs> totally. I mean, watching that video, I loved how you had to hand all of those illustrations, like from basically the, the very first one to the final one and like the, the evolution of the character and you just deciding what colour her jumper was going to be and her hair and like, was she going to have curly hair? And, and, you know, that's the thing. And the fact that you've kept all of them, I think it's really, really special. I mean, obviously that's going to be for the exhibition when, you know, when it goes... <laughs> when I'm when, when touring around the world, can yeah. you Yes, that's the plan. <laughs> no, it's just, it's also, totally. I mean, there are definitely still times when, um, you know, when you when you doubt yourself and I and it is good to look back and sometimes it's better to look back and see how far you've come rather than look forward and think, well, how far you've still got to go. And I like to look back and remember, actually look at the, the learning that took place from there. And so therefore, you know, don't look too far ahead because you don't actually know. Let's just keep going you're doing it you're fine let's keep moving in the space and there's always I guess as well like there's a lot of bad drawing goes on that nobody else gets to really see and there's a lot of illustrations that don't make the grade but the ones that don't are definitely informs the one, ones that do so you know every every bad picture I do informs the next picture informs the next picture so we get there eventually but you've got to allow the time and you've got to respect the time that it takes to create these sorts of things because nothing nothing great happens overnight that's for sure that's so true and it is like the graft that you don't necessarily see on the gram just like you you know if you're telling people that you're in the middle of you know writing a book or illustrating a book that 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 is very much a graft and that there'll be more stuff that's shoved to the side than actually what you're you're willing to put out into the world and say this is the final product or this is what I think it's going to be and that's and it's like you're wrestling with your own judgment is this good enough like you're saying like okay you had an ability there because you had been a teacher and you were really art you know because I'm just thinking if I was to illustrate a book it would look very different <laughs> yours, very, very different even with practice but I just really admire that when I realised how much effort you had put into because I just you just look at stuff on Instagram and you're like, oh, clearly that person's been able to do that their whole life. They've been that amazing from the get go. And yeah. you're like, no, 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 I had to work at that. That was something. In terms of the story, were you very much once that idea came to the forefront, where you very much set in what what the the kind of moral of the story that and the how the synopsis of it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think generally the story. The story had definitely, I mean, that had come first. Yeah, no, I was happy. I mean, I'd had a few redrafts. I've got a few friends that dabble in kind of writing and things. So I would send it out to people and be like, what do you think? Interestingly, it actually, the story had started being called Dear Santa. And one of my friends said, no, don't call it that. Call it The Girl Who Stole the Stars. So I can't take credit for the title. I have to kind of hand that over. That was somebody else. Um, and it's nice having a kind of group of friends who do kind of dabble in that sort of thing and, and in creativity that I can... I mean, I, 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 there's nothing worse than giving it to somebody and they tell me it's great. That's my worst scenario. I need people to tell me what's wrong with it. And even if I think, I mean, nothing's ever perfect. Nothing's, you know, there's always going to be room for improvement. So I like to send out to people who will be brutally honest and mm -hmm. I'll take their opinion and I may or may not execute it because again, I, I do trust my gut sometimes, but sometimes their input, like changing the title, was was absolutely spot on. But yeah, the story, the story just is it, and it just kind of sits for a while. But as interestingly, as I started doing the illustrations as well, that also then kind of went back and changed the story slightly as well. And I had to really learn 
graphic design as well and the layout of books and understand how many pages is a book and then therefore you know how are these illustrations going to match the text that I've put and then does the text need to adapt slightly in order to accommodate for the illustrations and I also learned a lot about how an illustration and I guess this is going back to Mary Hedrowick and Katie Morag how much of the illustration tells the story as well so although I had written this story all of a sudden I was then adding further parts to that through the illustrations so the text then could be scaled back slightly because the story was telling itself through the pictures as well and so much of that stuff like you're saying it was like self-taught you're having to go online and just like figure out what do you think was driving you to keep working on it like you you just wanted that physical book in your hand to give to your girls or was it like this is this is a career change like I'm going for this like what was the driving force the driving force was wanting to be able to be mum and to have a job that would fit around that I think to be honest and I loved creativity and I had written this story and I kind of knew that I could use my teaching background alongside a book to be able to promote it in school so in my head I was really struggling with being a teacher I'm not going to say nine till three because there is no teacher that works nine till three a teacher that works eight till eight sometimes if not more um and I wanted to find a way to still do do some of that I suppose um and be able to still look after my girls so I figured in my head if I had a book then I could go to a school for an hour and do a bit of storytelling and do a bit of creative writing or do some illustration work uh, and then come away again in order to pick my kids up from school or to be able to drop them off at school so it was really driven to be honest by trying to find something that fits with being a mum and that's really really hard like working and being a mum is really tough um, and I guess I'm trying to find something that fits with that. But it's, you know, it's still not easy. It's still not great working in an evening every night, but it does allow me to pick up, drop off and be there when they when they need me, I suppose. Of course. Yeah, no, I totally resonate with the whole just being a visitor in the school. I love it because sometimes people will say to me, oh, you should totally like you should be a teacher. And I'm like, all that red tape and paperwork and note <laughs> cards, no thanks. I like being like the person that comes in and goes, hi, kids, let's have fun. We have fun. And then I just go away. Yes. <laughs> well, that my last job, the, the job I had previously before I kind of stepped out, I went into office and worked behind the scenes in education. Um, and I suppose there was quite a learning curve again in terms of how much is really dictated in schools. You know, there are, it's all kind of, there's a structure and there's not much, you know, this is what we have to teach. These are the benchmarks they have to achieve. And some of, I felt, I suppose, some of like the creativity and the parts that I love would get lost in the, well, we have to do this. We have to do this. We have to do this. Whereas now I'm like, well, actually, let's do this. And if you want me to come in and do this party, that's really exciting that I love, then yeah, like that would be, you know, happy days. That's like my ideal job. Take the best bits of the teaching parts that I love, which is generally creativity and writing and and do that over and over again. But I mean, I'm still carving that out. And the pandemic obviously has had a bit of an impact on my dream of going into schools for an hour, a couple of hours, you know. Um, But that's, you know, it's been no bad thing. There's been a lot of learning that's happened in that. And actually, the pandemic's taught me things that will probably allow me to build a better business and a more sustainable business over the long term, I think. Oh, that that's great. Like if, if you can pull any silver linings from like the last 18 months, I think it's so important. Like literally hold on to them for sure. Yeah. That's the thing like about doing this podcast remotely. Do you know what I mean? Like I hadn't done any remote recording prior to COVID. And, you know, I've spoken to people that I just necessarily wouldn't have had the opportunity to. It would have been more difficult to get in person with. Um, and people were available more at the time, you know, certainly at the start of the pandemic. So, yeah, you've just got to embrace these things. And like you're saying, learn a new skill like things that you just would have shied away from certainly when people used to say oh can we not do it like on 
Skype or whatever, and I'd be like, no. <laughs> One, because I want to meet you, but two, like, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> you know, and I think it's just like embracing that. Even like tonight, you're saying like, you're this is your first podcast. Yeah. You, you've just said yes. Like I asked you and you were like, yes. And it's just putting yourself out there and just trying new things. I think that's dead important, especially as an adult who's either working with or has children to show young people that you just still continue to learn and put yourself out of your comfort zone. I think that's a massive massive important thing that we should be teaching our young people that the learning doesn't stop yeah absolutely and I think also for me as well I guess everything evolves like education evolves like I I was um, when I was at university we learned a different curriculum to the curriculum that now children are learning from so everything changes and you have to change with that and I never wanted to be a teacher that stood still I always wanted to make sure that I was on top of what's going on and even on top of what kids are doing and what life is like for kids because with technology that's changing too So it's always been something that's been really important for me. And I guess also with the pandemic, and yeah, there's not many silver linings you can draw, but going digital has been uh, fantastic for me because all of a sudden I am realising that while I thought I could do author visits in Scotland, I can do author visits globally. Like there's no reason to say that if I'm doing digital workshops and I can deliver, you know, I can do in-person visits in Scotland, but there is a whole world out there where I can deliver the content that I create and I haven't got there yet, but certainly that's now the thinking that's developing in my mind is that the pandemic's taught me that we can do things digitally and we can deliver high quality information digitally. And that then opens other doors as well. So, so yeah, no, I'm quite excited for that. And it fit, I suppose it fits better for me again with flexibility, being a mum, digital workshops actually are actually not too bad for me. So brilliant. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's it. It's, it's just been open to you know new ideas and new ways of working I think that's like we all need to well we've kind of been forced to but yeah. moving forward as we go back into normal yeah. in inverted commas life that will take some of that that with us as well do you know what I mean like things don't necessarily stay the same like you say so how long has the girls who stole stars the physical actual book been out in the world for now how long is it God, living in Britain yeah, almost bang on the one year anniversary so it came out October 9th of October 2020 um, so that's been a year. So yeah, so I um, and that was interesting because it was always coming out in October. So you know, obviously the pandemic hit in the March 2020, and I was aware that we we're going to have to change up. So I thankfully had some planning in order to kind of prepare for a digital book launch. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, it came out. And that's it's been a year now, and that's us coming back into. I guess yeah, year two of it being out there, and there is another book coming out next year, which is exciting as well. That is amazing. Yeah. And before we go into that, which obviously you can only share what you can share. I mean, I'm absolutely happy to be the podcast where you reveal it all, but <laughs> I understand you might not be able to, but in terms of like highlights of the last year, and I know obviously it's been a difficult time, as we as we, we've said, but um, what have been the kind of moments where you're just like, pinch me or like, yay, I can't yeah. believe this happened. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a few of those. One of the main highlights was, um, so although we planned a launch night, it very quickly had to be adapted and the launch ended up being, it was always going to be at um, the the observatory. That's the word I'm looking for. So there's an observatory, a stargazing observatory up on Culloden Moor. So the plan had been we were going to hold an event there and children were going to be invited and it was all going to be great. Obviously, COVID happened. Um, so the only people that attended were my publisher and the people who run the observatory there. But I still was able to take my daughter and we still streamed it live onto Facebook. And 
it was just magical because that one night and it was so hit and miss and there'd been so many challenges even getting to that point with COVID restrictions and everything needed to be digital but we got there my daughter was there it was a clear sky night it couldn't have been more incredible so I had my book literally under the stars with these astronomers who were saying you know there's this star and there's that galaxy and we read the story and I was like that's it like that's it it's done and it was just magical it was a me I could not have been smiling more so that was definitely like I'm actually grinning like a Cheshire cat at you that's amazing <laughs> it was so cool and I, I really want to do I've been thinking about I've been toying with doing another event at the observatory this year but I'm so scared because last year was so beautiful and so perfect that saw this year it would pour with rain and it would probably be cancelled and guess what was another highlight there was something really special as well I suppose about the book arriving I, I got sent the proof copies in the post so we opened it up and I was able to sit with my kids and be like, look what I made, like it's my book. Um, and typically kids were not as impressed as I thought they would be. Um, and, but it was still really nice to be like, I made this, like this is something I made. Um, and yeah, I remember that moment as well being like, oh gosh, like, and then, and then the imposter syndrome kicked in and I was like, oh, it's not good enough. I don't know if it's going to be good enough and there's nothing I can do now. It's done. But, you know, it was really well received. And I have to say like a massive thank you to everybody who purchased a copy because that meant so much to me because there is that moment of doubt when you put something out that you've spent probably about that point, two years creating. And there it is. And you've lost control of it. It's gone. It's your baby's out into the world. And you can't ever really predict how people are going to receive that, how they're going to respond. And it was so amazing to have so much positive feedback and so many people being supportive of what I was trying to do with it that um, that meant that meant huge amounts to me actually and really gave me a, a huge boost in my confidence as well so that's amazing that, that that's just it, you know these are the moments that you probably had dreamt of but just f- at some points probably felt you were never going to get there do you know what I mean when you're in your cupboards at 12 o'clock at night and you're like this is not working yeah. or like oh, I've still got all this to do like you're you know because there is that journey and you can see the finish line you know mm-hmm. what it is going to be a physical product but there's just so many steps yeah. to get there so it's just lovely that when it, it did arrive that it was better than you could have imagined but it was terrifying as well because obviously like so I knew by the march the pandemic had hit and I knew that selling books was going to be a real challenge and so then my strategy really became how am I going to sell these like how are we going to market this because people aren't going to be in school and people aren't going to be in bookshops so my book is like my first book is going to be a flop unless I do something about it and that was hard because that that required a lot of work behind the scenes like I had to then learn how to build a website in order to be able to sell copies online because I knew if you aren't going into the bookshops where are you going to buy them so I had to be able to drive traffic in order to sell the book um, and try and build some hype and find people that could build some hype for me digitally because we were all going to be we were all going to be restricted in terms of, of what we could actually do. So, yeah, I mean, it was great that it got there, but my goodness, that was a hard slog, like really, really hard slog. And everybody goes, so when's your next book coming out? You're like, geez, oh, give me a minute. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. And yeah, it's just, and it, it would be nice to bring out a book not in a pandemic, but, you know, maybe it plays in my favour. Maybe it was a positive that everyone was online and maybe that that was an easier, I don't know, I guess I'll never know. And it worked well for me, but I, d- I know it's not well, worked well for everyone in the book industry. It's not been an easy, an easy time. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, learning. It's just all learning, isn't it? All the learning. All the, every day's a school day. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I said it <laughs> and of course, you know, amidst all of that, I'm, I'm guessing you've still got lots of other ideas brewing away and think, you know, little doodles here, there and everywhere. 
have one of those inspired the next book? Uh, no, they haven't actually. Um, the next book um, is called The Boy Who Rescued a Rainbow. And that was just inspired by my, my local town, actually. There is a charity set up called Team Hamish. And I live in a place called Nairn. And Team Hamish is very much part of Nairn. And that's a story of a little boy who passed away just prior to when I moved to the area. And the rainbow became very much part of his story and his legacy. Um, and I guess just as I was writing, it was just there was a boy, there was rainbows. and then as part of that, the story came about that a boy who rescued a rainbow. And I guess a lot of the inspiration for the stories I write and the illustrations I create is just what I see and what I experience in life. And it's it's in Nairn and it's it's in the Highlands. So I guess that's where, where that came from. Um, and it's funny, there's just lots of things that happen, little things, little comments that can be said or little experiences that I have that just plants that seed. And then the seed kind of grows in my mind for a while until it actually manifests into something. It's like these ideas bubble in your head for a while and they sit and they sit. And the ones that are really good, they stick and they end up going in notepads or they get jotted down. And the ones that aren't that good seem to disappear and move elsewhere. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess that, that's that's kind of where the basis for that came from. Um, and I guess the pandemic probably then fed into that a bit as well. The story kind of evolved through the pandemic as well. And then, yeah, the publisher's keen to, to take it on. So so that was really exciting. It's good to have another one, hopefully. I just need to illustrate yeah. it now. <laughs> oh, my word. Oh, well, get a dab hand at that now. I think you've nailed that. I think you're fine. You think the thing was with the girl who stole the stars is that that was very much, um, I illustrated that, I would say, traditionally, and I just did that at the kitchen table, drew it, drew the pictures, I scanned them in and then put them on the computer and pieced them together. But since uh, over the last year, I've had an iPad, so I've been learning how to draw digitally as well as traditionally. So I'm starting Ooh. to kind of dabble in both and figure out, right, how does that work? And then what's this? So... I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it again. I need to maybe just bring it all back down, but it hasn't quite landed yet. I'm still kind of on this journey, figuring out how is this book going to actually look. And it's all in here, but it's just not coming out onto paper yet. I'm just, I think you're the absolute queen of learning new stuff. Like you've learned so much. <laughs> I think if anyone ever, ever said, oh, did you learn anything in lockdown? I'd have said no. Um, <laughs> but but <laughs> I think it's more just necessity and it's more just that... Um, I can't really, I don't have a disposable, like I don't have money to pay people to do these things. So if I want to get to that end point, then I have to find a way to get there myself. And I don't, I don't, yeah, like I say, I don't necessarily set out to learn something new. I'm just like, okay, I have this book, I need to sell it. So I'll need a website. So I need to learn how to build a website. So let's learn how to build a website. Okay, that's that done. Okay, next thing. Like how else can I, it's all these things that are just bolted on to try and get to the end point mm. I don't really know yet what that end point's going to be but everything's building it feels like something's building and I don't really know what the end result's going to be of it but it's just that it's back to that journey again isn't it of course but the ma massive satisfaction of you know there's one thing in in, in going to other people with expertise and, and saying like you know I trust you enough to give you this thing and you know it's great that I can afford for you to come on board and be part of this journey but also there's the satisfaction of I did this yeah. all by myself. Yeah, yeah. And, and I didn't know all at the beginning. You know, it's not necessarily like you've got all the skills to make it. It's just like, well, we'll just figure it out. Yeah, and it's necessity. You're just like, that's what I want, so I'm going to get it. Um, and I actually, I guess I suppose eventually, Ooh. it'll hopefully allow me to look back and be like, those are the parts that I want to keep doing. And if I ever am able to pay somebody else to do the bits I don't like doing, then that will be kind of an easier process to understand. But I can hand that over. I, can, I don't really want, I mean, I don't really want to build a website, let's be honest. So the next time I'm hoping somebody else can do that for me. But yeah, it was good to learn it. And now, I guess also, I suppose, with the illustration as well, it then informed the writing, like everything seems to inform it teaches me something that actually fits onto somewhere else. You know, if I know how to build a website, then, you know, how do you do things digitally? It just it just all kind of links together. And 
I guess I look a lot at how to build a brand and, and trying to have a bit of consistency and the website needs to fit with the overall feel and look. So so building it myself allowed me to kind of, I suppose, do that and understand that a bit better. So Yeah, and I guess so many authors listening to you to speaking, you know, who have written illustrated books, but just no way, shape or form would they have ever thought about illustrating themselves or just like, I just can't do that. Like with all the will in the world, I wouldn't be able to do that. And almost having that, that that ability to get in your own head, you know exactly what it's to look like, you know, and it might still take you umpteen attempts to get the girl just right. Yeah. But trying to express that to someone else, like come in my head, come in and see. <laughs> you didn't need to do that with anybody. You, you had it all there and it was just a, a process of figuring out for yourself. I think that's, that, that's when the story and the, illustrator, the illustrations are then the most like, they're perfect then. They're, they're totally how they were meant to be yeah. because yeah. they all came from you. Yeah, no, it's just funny how it all kind of pieced together. But yeah, there's definitely a determination. Like I don't, I don't know. It just, it's just I've got this kind of gut determination. I'm like, I really want that. And I, I will do what I can to make that happen. And I think even if it hadn't looked great, I probably still would have gone with it and been like, right, we'll get it out there and we'll go with this and then we'll do it again and we'll, we'll make it better. But it was just good that I managed to get things up to a high enough level to actually be like, well, actually, no, this has turned out really well. Um, yes, I mean, it's beautiful. Like the illustri- and, and then all your other illustrations that I've seen, you've got your online shop and you, you've yeah. done other artwork. And like, is that just now something that you really enjoy doing? Like, although at first you were like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to learn to do this. Is this just now part and parcel of what you love to do? It's hard, I suppose. So with a book, um, in terms of the, uh, financially it being viable, you obviously don't make, like making a book doesn't pay you anything and you just go on this long, 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 long journey until it is done and then you kind of reap the rewards of that. Whereas doing illustrations and selling them in the shop gives you more of an instant gratification. And I sometimes need that because, you know, a two-year process and in order to keep going and keep believing you can get there is quite hard without having little drip kind of things going in and out that are saying actually yes yeah, somebody's bought some of your artwork okay they you can draw okay that's good right let's keep going with the book yeah. yeah somebody else has bought something okay that's good I mean I'm I'm thankful at the moment that I've got the freedom to be able to be at home and look after my girls and do this on the side so you know I don't need to be financially dependent on it but I do need it to be financially viable and it does need to you know I think a lot of um maybe authors and illustrators we don't always come at it as a creative looking at it from a business perspective and I get mm-hmm. trying to marry the two because it does need to be a business and my time is valuable you know it's sacrificed my evenings you know I could be spending time with my husband or I could be you know seeing my friends or doing other things for myself and this is what I'm choosing to do so it has to be I have to value that and I have to put a price tag on that and so so yeah the illustrations yeah they're they are a bolt-on and they do inform the big the picture books as well but um it's also just kind of for that for their own kind of confidence booster as well, that people are buying your work and people do believe you've got something and um, because you need reminded of that regularly. <laughs> or I do anyway. I need reminded of that. I hear you. <laughs> I absolutely hear you. <laughs> I'm all about instant gratification. I'm like, put it out in the world. Somebody will like it, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the hard thing with Instagram sometimes, actually. Like sometimes that algorithm goes in your favour and you're kind of on top of the world being like, boom, like, look at me, I'm doing this. And then all of a sudden the algorithm goes against you. And actually that I find that the not annoying thing with social media is it's not necessarily down to the quality of the work you're producing or the content you're creating. It's just all down to what's kind of trending and what what the algorithm's kind of pushing so I've tried not to get too hung up on that and really focus more on well what are people buying for me what are people willing to spend you know everybody works hard for their money and the pennies count and when people are using their hard-earned money to buy something that I've created 
you know that that in itself is is the gratification I need. I don't I don't necessarily need likes and follows, but when you know people are putting money down and saying, yeah, we like your work enough to spend our our money on it, then yeah, that's that's kind of really good for me. And you must have had so many lovely stories from families that have bought the book, and oh. like that must just be like the best thing ever. Yeah, totally. The funny thing is, I get so I um, when the book when the girl who came, uh, when the girl who saw the stars came out, my um, middle child, Juno, she's she was two at the time. And um, it's the perfect book for her. Like two, two, three-year-olds, they love it. There's repetition of the story and it's a nice imaginative story. She couldn't have cared less about the blooming story. But I had all these other lovely mums getting in touch saying, my two-year-old loves this story. It's her favourite book. She's seen the words. And I was like, yeah, I'm, your two-year-old loves this story. My two-year-old chooses everything else apart from my story. And what's actually really lovely, um, recently I've obviously been doing a lot of school events and digital events. Um, and kids are now like coming up and saying hello to me. And they're like, oh, hi, Karina. And the other day I went to the post office and there was a girl standing outside. She must have been waiting for her dad, I think. And she said, oh, hi, Karina. I said, oh, hi, how are you? Fine, yeah. And I didn't know who she was, but she obviously knew who I was, which was fine. And then just as the dad was coming out, I heard her say, oh, that's Karina, the author. And that was a moment. That was a moment for me to be like, oh, under my mask. I was like, oh, that's so cool. That is so and, cool. And it is. And it's it's amazing that, that kids like... I just see myself as as me, but it's nice that kids see something special in that. And I like kids having role models that are writers or illustrators because I would have appreciated that when I was growing up. Maddie Hedder was, was mine, but I didn't meet her when I was young. And I guess I, I like to think that I'm showing to children that if they want to write or create or draw, then yeah, they can. Like, And we live in the Highlands and we can do it. You know, we can create books in the North as well. And it's quite often sometimes can be feels a little bit central belt focused at points and so it's quite nice to bring a bit of a spotlight to the north because um, we are quite remote up here and there's not the city life but you know there's opportunity and if you've if you've got a passion and a talent for something then why not go for it I mean maybe it's the maybe it's the highland mentality maybe we're we're always a bit like oh don't you do that you know don't don't go there but um it's nice to show kids I, I, that's why I that's why I really like to give back actually is to be able to go into schools and say you can do this you know just because we're from the north of Scotland doesn't rule you out you don't need to live in the big cities or down in London you can still you can still put everything you've got into something and get somewhere with it spot on and I think that these are the stories that we need to be telling children more that you can do anything if you just put your mind to it yeah my mum that was my mum's quote my mum used to always say you can do anything when you put your mind to it I remember I always altered it though I used to say yeah I can do anything when I put my mind to it except volleyball volleyball was my nemesis at school I hated volleyball Um, but most things yeah and I think you know it takes perseverance and you have to want to do it but um you know when you work hard you, you can make something amazing happen I think that's like another title for a book right there. Like you can do anything. <laughs> volleyball. Yes. You can be the central character. <laughs> I'm too short for volleyball. But I used to do higher PE in school and I was the only girl. There was maybe one other girl. Yeah, there was another girl there, but there was only two of us in a class of 20, so 18 boys. And we played volleyball and their blooming tactic was smash the ball at me. And I was so short. I couldn't reach the blooming net. And I just thought, oh, it's volleyball anyway that's that's completely off time well you can, no well you could rewrite the story so you can be definitely taller in your story if you want yeah. you can be like you could be yeah. absolutely amazing at volleyball and yeah. you can just be winning all the games i think you should just write that story it, that's that that idea of like you can rewrite the story like you maybe are not great at drawing you can practice and you can get better you can start writing a story and it's not working out right away but if you keep working you know and i think that's just important to because we live in an age of like instant gratification sometimes. Yes. yes. That, you know, hard work is actually 
it's so rewarding yep. and it yep. pays off at the end and I think that's really important not just for children but for adults to learn that as well yeah and actually even if the book hadn't been taken on uh, we'd call it a traditional publishing route so I obviously got a publisher in the end but even if I self-published it it still would have felt really good and it didn't necessarily need to be anything it just needed to be something that I made and a journey that I went on I just I'm always aware of just not becoming too focused on that end goal because we never really know what that could be and just being being open to that journey changing or going in a different direction in terms of what's next we know what's next there, there there's another book yeah there's another book. um and is there anything else in the pipeline that you can tell us about like any exciting things that you're just looking forward to yeah no exciting things um i guess I'll, let's give you the full rundown there's not a huge amount um that's the other thing i have to balance it quite carefully at the moment um there's only so big i can allow this to grow there's not loads of things going on but there's enough going on to keep me busy so i'm part of the nest book fest which is this week and they have a free online workshop for children uh, for schools so if you're ever looking for a free workshop that's where to head is the nest book fest for christmas this is what i'm most excited about actually so um i've teamed up with two other small local businesses this christmas and one of them is called rory macaroni and she is a mum who makes clothing for children and she is making some pajamas and Coco Mountain which is a chocolate company in the north of Scotland and they are they make chocolate but they are also putting together some hot chocolate for me and we're going to be putting together a Christmas book box and in the book box there's going to be my book and there's going to be a jar of stars which is a star necklace for kids and hot chocolate and cozy pajamas and we're doing that as like a, a Christmas offering I suppose as a, a local business collective I suppose I love that. Yeah, well, I, I did it kind of last year myself. Um, and this is, again, learning that I want to delegate a bit and bring other people in. And I, I love supporting small businesses as well and other mums that are doing stuff as well. So, yeah, so it was like, well, let's let's make the box, but let's get other people to add bits to the box and not just put it all on me to add everything. So that's coming out this Christmas. I'll hopefully be launching that in October. Um, and then after that, it's really uh, it should be kind of all hands on deck for the next book. <laughs> Get back in that cupboard. <laughs> Get back in the cupboard. My husband's always saying, stop dabbling in so many little things. And that I can become easily distracted. But I think um, the focus will hopefully return. And, and that, that that's kind of it at the moment is, is, is everything I've got going on. Brilliant. Now, you've listened to the Brown the Brave before, so you'll know that there is a section called the Hingamajigs, which are just random questions to get to know my guests a wee bit more. And yep. these are picked at random. I used to I used to pre-select them, but I've just been going a bit rogue these days and just like <laughs> selecting them in the moment. So if you'll <laughs> indulge me, I'll pick a few for you, Karina. <laughs> um, who would be your three dinner party guests? Oh, gosh, there's a good question. Who would we have? Oh, oh. This is a tricky one because you're almost left going, do you go sentimental or do you go, or do you just go for a good night out? <laughs> well, this is where my husband's like, oh gosh, who's she going to say? Um, if I was thinking with my with my business hat on, um, I would definitely love to sit down with Julia Donaldson and have a good old chat about books. Um, I would bring back Roald Dahl as well. Roald Dahl would be somebody for me. Um, Beatrix Potter would, would be my next on the list. Beatrix Potter would be there with my with my sort of I guess my author illustrator hat on but I guess if I was thinking more just for myself who would I have I definitely have Hugh Jackman <laughs> he would be there cool. no I just feel like there's one that you'd have where you would have your business hat on and that would be my my business choices but then socially I definitely I always say me and my husband love the greatest show where I was like oh it'd be great to have a night out with Hugh Jackman and maybe it would just be him I don't know <laughs> 
shame. You're like, I invited two other people, but they didn't turn up. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> shame is just Hugh Jackman. Um, I do love a good sing and dance. I think we'd have a good night out, actually, to be fair. I love a sing. I love a dance. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's maybe more my kind of a dinner party. But, um, yeah, I don't know. That's not a very good answer. My first answer was much better than that. <laughs> Hugh Jackman on my own. No, no, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people would agree with you. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, talking about music then, I'm just literally throwing in a question that just came into my head. It's not even on the list. Um, what is what song's definitely going to get you on the dance floor? <laughs> Steps. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the kind or Spice Girls. I saw the Spice Girls live not that long ago. Spice Girls, <gasps> Steps, all of those cheesy songs. Like anything you can sing along with, I am there. Musicals as well. I love a musical. Hairspray, Cats. I mean, Cats would even get me up. Mr. Mistopheles has been on this podcast. Oh! The person who's playing Mr. Mistopheles in uh, Vienna. So you can listen to that episode now. You'll need to find that one out. Yeah, I know. I'll have to go and find him now. If you could choose someone to voice. A book that you'd written for an audiobook version, whose voice would you want to use? Oh, oh that's good. Uh, I can't ask that to everybody you see. Well, it'll be a hypothetical book, but you've actually got a book. Yeah, I've actually got a book, and who would I have read that? I mean, there's always Imelda Staunton. Imelda Staunton, am I saying that right? But she already mm-hmm. does. I feel like I'd need to choose somebody new, bring them in, and be like, right, let's do this together. But somebody has to have like a really kind of magical voice Kate Winslet I mean again that's another one I think would be good I'm going all the females I think I'd have a female voiceover um mm-hmm. is there anybody Karen Gillan I don't know. yeah Karen Gillan just because she's Scottish and she's redhead yes yeah there we go um who or what makes you laugh <laughs> don't know <laughs> you've made me laugh well thanks <laughs> I don't really I'm not really into comedians like I've never Never been like, oh, that, like, I don't like listening to organised funny. Um, <laughs> I don't like organised funny. <laughs> yeah. That. yeah, spontaneous funny is definitely more my bag. Who or what makes me laugh? Oh, kids generally. I mean, kids, even like, and I guess that comes from like, even going in to do like author events and the questions they've asked me and the, the things that they want to know about just they crack me up and I don't always laugh at them at the time because I genuinely try and respect it but it usually is when I come home and I sit down at night and say to my husband you're not going to believe what they asked me today I think you know these questions are tricky but what the kids ask me is something a lot harder um and I guess the the good thing is with that is if they always ask you something you can always be like oh that's a really good question you should ask your mum and dad about that so yeah I guess that always make they they do always make me laugh actually so yeah that's probably the honest answer. <laughs> so I am currently working on a project with someone who has worked with Hugh Jackman, believe it or not. Wow. So the children knew this from a previous project and I'm new to the school. So they were saying, oh, remember, we we're talking about Hugh Jackman, blah, blah. And this other person sang with Hugh Jackman. And they were like, oh, ah. And um, so then they were like, oh, this person's been on the TV loads. And this wee kid was like, oh, I've seen you. I've seen you twice. And you're like, did you? And then this wee boy was like, she said something about Hugh Jackman. He went, see, see, see my grandpa. I was like, yes. He was like, he he's pals with Hugh Jackman. <laughs> and like that, you're like, try not to laugh. And I was like, is he? There you go. That's a turn up for the books. Who knew? <laughs> it's funny. It's, I just love how their mind works sometimes. Like, you, you know, I'll say like, oh, I like to write books. And the hands will go up and like, I like writing books. My granny likes writing books. Um, I've written a book my book's called this and you're like oh my goodness and you're like oh great great that's good okay let's keep moving 
Um, but yeah, they do say the funniest things. I had one actually um, when I was teaching, we were doing a topic of people who help us and we organised for the lollipop man to come in and he sat down and he was going to take some questions. The blooming first question was, why are you so wrinkly? And then the second question was, why is your hair white? Because you have quite grey hair. And all of a sudden it was really good because what we thought was going to be a discussion about people who help us became a discussion about age and how you change through the ages and kind of that intergenerational gap and link. And we ended up doing a whole new topic actually on people and, yeah. and kind of through the ages. Um, so we just sacked people who help us, but it was just beautiful. It's just that kind of that honesty and the kind of questions they ask. It's just fab. So. That's lovely. I love that. I hope the person wasn't too offended by the wrinkles and the grey hair. I think that's why they all were then fascinated by his age. And I guess for a lot of them, maybe they don't have elderly grandparents or elderly people that they interact with. You know, these kids are maybe four or three or four or five years old. So, you know, they were fast. They were kind of touching his hand as well. Like, just because it's different. It's it's new for them. Um, And he was great. He was absolutely great. And of course, you'll know that the last question I ask everybody, so I change all the questions apart from this one, is what is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? Blether. I like to blether. <laughs> I've probably got two. I was thinking about this. So blether is definitely one of them. I love a good blether. And I still say your room is a complete boodoch. And I think that's just a mum thing. So I only learned that word on the podcast from Fee of Bluebell Grey, because her family's from the Highlands yes. and I was like I'd never heard that before yeah Budo. maybe I should stick with that one yeah but it's just when I use I don't know you just use it yeah your mum used my mum used it so it's now your room is a complete Budo. get up there there was another one I had which I didn't know if it was a Scottish word you might know better than I did I didn't have time to look it up I used to mum I'd always say to my mum what's for dinner and she'd say Ulavikish and I think that might be a Scots word and it's basically either that or it's Gaelic it's basically I don't know but she would say it's Ulavikish for dinner I don't now. I should. I should have really looked that up beforehand. I just had it in my head. That's maybe just your mum's ism. Like she just came up with that. It's funny because I think it put me off quiche for a long time because I used to think it was Ulavik quiche, but it's not. It's Ulavikish. Ulavikish. Because a lot of the Highland kind of lang, I think the words that we still have are probably based from Gaelic origins. I would say so. I would imagine it's probably because I think Burroughs maybe Gaelic as well. But yeah, it's funny where it comes from because I think I've also heard of the word midden for mess. But I never used it. Yes. Um, I think that's maybe more of a West Coast, is it? Well, yeah, but more so, I would call somebody a midden. Aye, okay. Oh, you're a, right. you're a wee midden. Like, it's yeah. being mischievous. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I quite often call the cat a wee midden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, but, yeah, but a midden is like a mess. I think it's a pale yeah. of yeah. a minute. Interesting. Lang- isn't language great? Isn't words brilliant? They're fab. And I really want to write something in Scots, and I keep I need to come back and revisit that, actually, and that's... Yeah, maybe it needs to be Ulavikish. <laughs> <laughs> Karina, this has just been an absolute joy. I can't thank you enough. This has just been so lovely. I think it's amazing what you've achieved. Oh, thank you so much. No, I've loved this too. It's just been nice to have a chat with somebody, actually. You need to sit here by myself. And yeah, I just need to have you with me now when I'm sitting dry. I'll just blather away. I ain't bother. <laughs> I'd love to. Let <laughs> <laughs> me practice my own drawing a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Honestly, like I think it's awesome what you've achieved, and oh. anyone listening to this will just be—I'm sure—be really inspired by just the graft that you've put in to make something that you really wanted happen. Yeah. Yeah. And you're still doing that; you're still figuring it out and juggling and all that good stuff. But um, it's great, it's dead inspirational, and um, 
yeah just keep doing what you're doing i think it's awesome oh thank you and i love the podcast thing. like I, I love a podcast like that's the way that's the way you can still do things and listen and learn at the same time it's like multitasking at its best so yeah first first podcast done <laughs> boom done in the bag another new skill there you go see yeah no i'm I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Braw and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.